That's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of this design for manufacturing and assembly type language in that move. So contractors are trying to get in touch with owners and saying, listen, we can manufacture these buildings for you. Um, we saw a hospital go up in, in 10 days. Come on. I mean, right. I mean that, that, that should be the canary in the coal mine. Uh, a thousand room hospital went up in China in 10 days. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP and manufacturing industries. Today, I am once again joined by founder and CEO of Steel Toe Consulting, Jonathan Marsh. Welcome back to the podcast, Jonathan. Oh, it's great to be here, man. Great to be here. So last time we caught up was at MEP Force 2019. What are you up to these days? I'm up to a lot of things. So since, since the MEP Force, um, I have changed companies, started my own company, um, and then got into something really interesting that I think we're going to talk about today, which is the Innovation Lab, which is... Um, basically, uh, MCAA has come together and put some money into testing and developing um, the tech that's out there to match it up to the workflows. So that's what, I've, that's what I've been doing lately, and that's what's been really exciting is I finally got some time to take the tech that's coming out and really yeah. put it through some paces um, in terms of what, it's, what it can do for, for the contractor. Because a lot of times when, when you hear about this stuff, uh, what you hear about is how great the tech is, but not really how it relates to actually building stuff mm. or some use case that's not terribly realistic. Um, so what I'm trying to do is sort of take the different techs, tech and, um, you know, measure how is it really going to work for us? Like um, they just brought out the new HoloLens and I've been playing with that for like the last three weeks. And yeah. I set up this huge grid. I set up a huge grid on the floor and I'm like, okay, so when you're walking around, do you watch the grid move? Because that means that it's not track imperfect and things like that. So that, you know, we can say, okay, well, we know it moves, but it only moves a few inches, that hologram that you see. So I've been doing a lot of stuff like that. Um, I've also been consulting for some really interesting clients. Um, I just had a guy um, come to me and he said, you know, I don't want to have a fab shop anymore. I want to have a manufacturing facility. And, and he's, he's pursuing it like that. He's like, I'm going to take this piece of fab shop, and turn it into a manufacturer. So I'm getting to do a lot of fun stuff, kind of as the industry is evolving into um, a more tech-centered industry, a more manufacturing-centered industry, I'm getting to talk to a lot of those people. Very cool. Well, what kind of trends are you noticing as you are testing out all the, the new technology? Well, I mean, the big trend for the year is definitely going to be AR. Um, I was just talking in Nova Scotia, and while I'm talking, this guy walks up to me, He's a guy that does tile for bathrooms, okay? The uh, guy that does tile for bathrooms wrote his own AR so that you can scan your bathroom with your phone, and then it will pick the cuts of the tile that you want. He'll box it up and send it to you as a do-it-yourself uh, do project. So when you see somebody that's just, and he's like a, a one or two-man show, putting out AR for the phone, that's going to allow you to sort of pre-manufacture tile, you know that AR yeah. is going to have a really good year this year. Um, I also, I was um, at the same conference, I was talking to some programmers and uh, they're showing me the, the number of programmers that are desired by the market for AR applications. And it's huge. It's just massive. So I think this is going to be a really good year for AR. Um, I was excited to see what I saw with the HoloLens, um, but a little more um, 
to purpose. I've seen a lot of phones, iPads, and other things sort of using the AR apps to the best of their advantage to get some real stuff done. Um, ICT Tracker is one of them. You know, there are some great apps out there. But I think uh -huh. that this year will be the year of AR. Well, why do you think the, the boom in AR all of a sudden? Well, you know what? I've noticed it takes like four or five years for any of these trends to catch on. And, mm. you know, we saw it coming out four or five years ago. It started, yeah. to, started to do different things. And then last year, um, Mechanical Inc. and a bunch of other mechanicals put out a lot of use cases. You know, they mm. put out a lot of use cases. And then add on to that Microsoft putting out a real piece of hardware. You know, um, the new piece of hardware they put out uh, will measure the distance to your eye, which will adjust um, how those holograms look and make them more accurate. The way that it's matching the holograms to, um, to your environment's much better. So really, it's like the technology has come of age and the use case of it, cases have been piling up. And, mm. you know, a lot of, again, a lot of those pieces and parts in programming, they actually evolve. Like somebody will evolve a little piece or part of programming that captures really good, you know, mechanical piping. And, but after that, all the programs are going to build off those pieces and parts. So I think it's reached that sort of critical mass. I think all of the sort of high-end contractors, you'll see them using it this year, and it will trickle down over the next two years to the, the sort of the, the smaller shops, the shops that aren't as tech-centered. Yeah. And so that snowball is all of a sudden picking up some uh, more snow and rolling down that hill quick, huh? Absolutely. And you can see like, you know, this was very similar to scanners. Scanners hit critical mass like three years ago. And uh -huh. um, I was asking at uh, AU, I'm like, so how many people have scanners? We got three or four hands go up. And then three years later, you ask and every hand in the room is up. We all have them, you know? Yeah. So once it hits critical mass, it pretty much it, it pretty much jumps up and everybody has it all of a sudden. Interesting. Uh, what do you see as kind of the, the end goal of testing out all these new technologies? Um, a big end goal is to give you guys a good way to pick tech. Um, you do not need to have the most expensive tech. Most companies actually, they buy really expensive tech and it's got too many too many options okay it's like really hard to use because it it's really expensive because it can do so much but if you're a small contractor you, do, you need it to do very specific workflows you need sure. it to you know you need it ultimately if you're like doing scanning per se you need it to measure that's what your goal is i want to measure like a million times in a room so yeah. you don't need to buy something that's meant to you know for for really high optics or to look really clean and crisp you need something that's going to do good measurements, going to do them fast. And instead of buying one, one unit for $100,000, maybe you buy four units for like $10,000. And that fits your business better. So a lot of the testing is about that. You know, defining the problem that we see in the industry, really getting it down. Like this is the problem we're trying to solve. And this is the best hardware to solve that problem. Because I think a lot of people, you know, you go to a show and, and they show you the hardware, but they don't really define the problem real well. So it's tough to like say, well, I'm only, you know, I'm only going to use it for pipe. Why do I need it to shoot 1,500 meters, you know? So right. those are the type of questions we're hoping to answer and really get that to the point where it's clear, you know, where you can sit down, look through everything and it's clear. This is what I'm trying to do. This is my problem. 
and here's here's three solutions that are going to fit it that have different price points and different pros and cons yeah no i, I think that's great of giving kind of the real world application of it because new tech and new software can seem so pie in the sky and so what does it actually do how is it are people going to really use it and i think sharing those use cases is super important yeah and and you know i mean it is it is truly bridging the gap between what is possible with it and then what's practical you know i mean yeah. and the practical part is what we often miss you the pretty part and the cool part and the shiny part um, aren't necessarily how we're going to use it um, i remember when they first came out with ar um, the first time i saw it was as a video game and there was like three people, three construction tech people standing right there going, if you can take this video game and allow me to lay out hangers, I can pay you a lot of money for that hardware, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it was a really good solution that had no idea what the problem was, you know? Right. And it's just now that it's starting to get to the point where, where, where those solutions are sort of aimed at our problems. Interesting. So how much of the the new tech that you're testing out do you think will really make it to the the market for the masses and what's kind of that average lag time well right now i'm trying to take tech that i think has a real chance of hitting within the next 18 to 24 months so like okay. that's my target tech and then i have some like goofy stuff that's that's either not really even going to be on the market for 24 months a couple i'm, I'm looking at scanners there's a couple different low cost scanning solutions that are not on the market and are not going to be on the market for a while. But in general, I'm trying to get something that's going to be relatively current. You know, I mean, I want practical solutions. That means you have to be able to go and get it off the shelf to some level. You know, I mean, like I am still testing some prototype software or hardware and a lot of prototype software. Um, but again, even if, uh, and I saw it with a couple different software solutions, even if they're not perfect, if they solve the problem we want to solve, we can make money with them today. You know, it gives them some funding that's from a client that's using their product and a lot of feedback. So I'm also looking for a couple of those software pieces that are on limited release or on beta, but hope uh, to be out there in the next, you know, two years, three years. Yeah, that's awesome. What's your favorite thing that you've reviewed and tested so far? Um, you're gonna laugh. I, I actually think my favorite thing was not part of a formal review. In order to get um, videos made and, and audio made, I had to work, I had to use like a Zoom 5 and I had to use a little um, DJI Osmo camera and some of those uh. other little pieces in a 360 camera. Um, so some of the audio video stuff, um, while it's not as practical, has been way more fun to play with. Um, sure. Because it's outside of the wheelhouse. And, and I'll tell you, as I was playing with like the 360 camera, it came with this long lanyard so you could swing it around your head, all right? Oh, wow, yeah. And I was thinking about it, it's the first time I've seen a camera where if you really wanted to, you could mount a little, a little flashlight to it and drop it down in a manhole. Now you can do 360 shots down a manhole without going down there. So a lot mm. of times, even this sort of, this, this tech that's not being applied to, to our industry, if you start messing with it automatically, you're like, oh, this would be really great if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm filming down a manhole or filming in a confined space and I want something that's cheap and easy to do, I mean, mount a flashlight to a 360 camera, drop it in the confined space. Over yeah. the edge of a, a, dist, or a, a large tower or tank, rather than trying to get a drone up at the side, 
you can take these things, put them on a little cord, drop them down over the edge. And because they're shooting in 360, they get really good film. So yeah. some of those have been funner to play with because they don't have such a direct application. Um, definitely, you know, XR10 is, is really cool to play with. It looks neat, it's fun. You know, holograms are great, but some of the little stuff's been more interesting, I would say. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, very cool. I would love playing with those uh, cameras and videos. I think that's where the, the creativity comes out there too, is that you can take something that's not built for the industry and go, oh, okay, this is a use case for it, that kind of thinking out of the box there. Yeah, and, and you, what's really nice is a lot of those things where you find that odd use case tend to be really inexpensive. Like 360 cameras, super inexpensive. But putting somebody down in a pit is pretty expensive. You know, right. I'm, I also looked at, I looked at obscenely large selfie sticks. Like how, how, how big a selfie stick could I put this 360 camera on? Because I'll go into places that you really need a scissor lift to take a measurement on, but I don't need a measurement. I just need to see or I need to see it behind something. So yeah, I made, I think I made an 18 foot long selfie stick so that I could go into a warehouse, put the 360 camera on a selfie stick and reach it up into those areas that I couldn't see. And again, a little flashlight mounted, little selfie, well, long selfie stick. And you have a, you have a cheap solution that saves you a scissor lift. And a scissor lift, you put it out there, you put a guy on it, that's, that's more money than it costs to build the selfie stick and, you know, have the 360 camera. Yeah, and plus with an 18 foot long selfie stick, it, nobody knows you're actually taking your own selfie there. <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> At 18 foot long, as long as it's not windy, the 360 camera is mounted on the bottom and you can't see the selfie stick. It looks like it's a drone. Oh wow. like, like you expect to see a selfie stick and, and you don't see the stick and it's like four feet ahead of, uh, on top of you. Yeah. This was like 18 feet, so it looked like you were flying a drone, like really, really close to duct work and really, really close to panels. It was just, it was a really interesting cool. experiment. What surprised you the most in the things that you've tested? Um, I think actually what, what surprised me the most was the level of improvement um, in the HoloLens. That mm. meant went from the first generations were clunky and hard to use. Um, the level of improvement right now, this is a perfectly workable tool. Um, I've been testing different software with it and it looks like the software is up to the challenge too. So, you know, I, I think that was surprising. I hadn't expected to see that level of improvement. I had expected to see it be a, a little bit different looking, a little bit better visual field, but not the ability to, to really um, reference your eyes and get good holograms. It's so good that they have cameras on the outside of the HoloLens, okay, right where the little wings are in your glasses. Uh -huh. Those cameras record differently than you see with your eyes because your eyes are calibrated to be much more accurate um, with using the hologram than the cameras on the unit. 
So I was taking pictures to say, look how close this was. And all the pictures were coming out wrong because it was incorrect from here, but really correct from where my eyes are. So little things like that, that dial in that hardware, I didn't expect to see that so quickly. Interesting. Uh, Any predictions of where tech and uh, the industry is moving in the next few years? Um, I think overall right now, like if I look at what the trend is, um, the trend is to have companies are starting to, to really define well their workflow, define well their problems. And I'm going to tell you that I think companies are going to be more willing to use um, individual answers versus the big, um, the big, like, like Procore offers a suite of products. All right. Um, And it's it's a really good suite works really well for people. I think people, as they better define their businesses and better understand tech though, are gonna start employing more spot solutions. So all of these little solutions, I think you're gonna start to see those explode um, in terms of use case. Um, where before, you know, most of the time companies are trying to get one major supplier for most of their tech, I think people are gonna become more comfortable using a bunch of individual spot solutions. Interesting. Uh, so what's the, can you unpack the, the partnership with MCAA? What's uh, that partnership like? What, anything you got there? You know, MCAA has, has always been really, really good about providing their members with really good information. Okay. And, and so one of the ways that they were doing this is by doing different studies throughout the year. Um, and in talking to Sean, we had been working on this master workflow for VDC to really dial in VDC of MCA members and one of the things it didn't have was software and hardware to go along with these, these, these items within the workflow. So measuring a site, checking that a building is built the way that it is in the model. Okay, mm-hmm. so we were saying you had to do that, but we weren't saying, and here's the technology to do it with. And so what MCA decided to do is take some money, say, okay, we are gonna start defining not only what you need to do, but defining tools that are the best tools to do that so that we can have our, you know, our members um, really armed with the best information on both the tech they need to purchase and the workflows that they need to maintain to use that correctly, you know? Yeah, yeah interesting. So is MCAA the one that's, if you want to, to find the different information, you go over to MCAA? MCA is doing that and they're also releasing some of the information just publicly to YouTube. Um, okay. A lot of it hasn't come out yet. I'm really just spinning up this part of the business um, yeah. about uh, I, Steel Toe Consulting, which is the consulting group that kind of I run. It's, it's been around for four months, but the Innovation Lab really started up about a month ago. So I've been doing okay. testing, yeah. uh, but there's some video editing. You know how that is, you know, oh, yeah. uh, a little video editing between testing and release of information. But I would sure. say if you're watching YouTube, you know, Keep an eye on the Innovation Lab. We're going to start releasing more and more information as we move forward. Um, MCA is play, paying for a couple studies, but I also have a couple software suppliers who would like their stuff studied and then, again, released out to everyone. Here's a good workflow with our software. Here's how it kind of lines up. So I hope to produce a lot of content over the next six to eight months, and, and I hope to share a lot of that with the industry in general. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so switching gears a, a little bit, how are manufacturing principles and kind of the best practices there starting to influence MEP? I mean, like I said, when I started, I, I think that, that um, that's become 
one of the biggest moves in what it actually is, isn't really tech. It's the idea of being involved with the design earlier in the process. In uh, manufacturing, um, they moved from sort of this idea that they would have somebody build a product, okay? And then they'd send it over to the manufacturer and the manufacturer would try to build it. And mm. they kind of, in manufacturing, they said, no, nah, forget it. We're going to design with you guys so that when you design a new product, it can be manufactured well. That's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of this design for manufacturing and assembly type language in that move. So contractors are trying to get in touch with owners and saying, listen, we can manufacture these buildings for you. Um, we saw a hospital go up in, in 10 days. Come on. I mean, right. I mean that, that, that should be the canary in the coal mine. Uh, a thousand room hospital went up in China in 10 days. Manufacturing at a huge... Yeah, I mean that's a huge volume of rooms, and yeah, it was a little, a, a little bit less architecturally lovely, but, <laughs> but that's just because of the nature of it, you know. I mean, we we can get around that. So, I think that's what you're seeing is you're seeing manufacturers manufacturing principles of design start to make their way into the AEC market, which means we need to be earlier in the design process, and ultimately we need to do that so that we can feed automated tooling. You know, I mean, you are seeing an explosion of robot welding arms. Um, plasma tables have gotten better and better. You're seeing more manipulators. I mean, saying to a shop, I'm going to grab a robot arm to do some simple, um, simple movement of material, something like that is no big deal. And the arms have gotten really inexpensive and easy to program. You know, so you're seeing a lot of that too, a lot of the, the automation of the shops. Um, at least I've seen that over the last couple of months as I've, I've gone around. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. Live Lab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits, all from the comfort of your own office. Visit ASTI.com for more information and let them know we sent you. Yeah, uh, how far off uh, do you see that uh, of really going mainstream to MEP people, of bringing in those manufacturing principles? You know, I, Dodge just came out, so check out the Dodge report. It does a really good job of saying what's going to happen in three years, far wow. better than I could. But it's, it's saying, listen, if you are a trade contractor and you're doing fabrication, of like single trade items. Like say you're a plumber and you're fabrication, fabricating carriers, okay? It's saying next year, you're probably gonna look at doing multi-trade. And this year, if you're doing multi-trade, next year, you're probably gonna look at doing modules or wall panelization or, or, or larger, you know, skid, skid fabrication. So what you're uh -huh. seeing is a pretty quick evolution. And what I would say right now is, if you're a really small contractor, Start doing single trade prefabrication because that's going to get you through all the bumps and lumps that you need to get through in order yeah. to do that next step, which is I'm going to tell you next year, multi-trade racks are going to be relatively common and they're going to become more and more common each year. Um, you're, when I looked at the Dodge numbers, I mean, what you saw was exactly that. You saw people that are doing single trade moving to multi-trade and modules and people that aren't doing anything starting that single trade fabrication. And it's getting most of the market. I think they said in three years, 75% of the market will be doing single trade fabrication. 
so oh, that's, wow. that's that's almost everybody you know yeah, yeah so people you got to start jumping on the bandwagon now start small get comfortable with it or else if you wait too long you're going to be passed by yeah, absolutely and and these things take a while to learn you have to make a ton of mistakes you know, and we're beyond the point where there are companies like Mechanical Inc. that are early adopters, okay? Travis huh. Boss is, is sort of famous at being an early adopter. Sure. Well, the, the single trade, multi-trade racks, even the modules, these are below, beyond early adopters, okay? Like there, there are people that are doing this as a standard practice, standard operating procedure. It's not an early adopter thing. So you need to get in now. The, the, the early adapter bumps and lumps are over, but you're going to have a lot of, a lot of growth before you're going to be ready to do something bigger. Yeah. Uh, how much, if we're looking a couple years down the road, how much of the work do you think will be done offsite on like these manufacturing sites versus still doing a lot of the work in the field? Man, I, I would say that, um, two things are going to happen in regards to that. One is all of these suppliers that are currently supplying you with just pipe and fitting, they're mm. going to start supplying you with bigger and bigger pieces and parts. So if you imagine like Legos, our Legos mm. are about to become much bigger Legos. Like we're going yeah. to, you know, we're going to be able to build faster. As far as building on site, you know, I mean, I think you're going to see the site crews get leaner and certainly we're going to see, I would say you're going to see, 60% of a building being built off site versus 30, you know? Um, but there's still, you know, we are still a long way away from everything coming out modularized. I mean, a long way away. Sure. Uh, if you look back in time, believe it or not, there was this building. Okay. It's like a third or 15 or 30 story building that was built modularly. Um, and it was in 2011 and they snapped the thing together in like 15 days, huge hotel oh, wow. over in China. It's called uh, like the T30, okay? Really cool project. That was in yeah. 2011, okay? The world didn't change. It's 2020. We are not all modular. So I, I think we're going to see, you know, we're going to see a boom in that, um, but, but it's not going to take over the market, you know, this decade. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think there's still, there's still plenty of, of room for on-site. And I think what we're also going to see is people saying, well, why do I need to put it in the fab shop when I can put a fab shop on site? You know, can mm -hmm. I can I get my fab shop into the back of a tractor trailer truck and move it onto site so I don't have to have a lot of material handling? You know, those type yeah. of solutions, I think you're also going to see those start to take hold as people have an area of their fab shop that looks more and more like something you could fit in the back of a semi, you know what I mean? And put on the yeah. job site. Yeah, I think that is a really interesting concept to have these kind of mobile manufacturing sites just moving around to different construction sites. Yeah. And, 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 and if you have eight sites, you know, maybe the right way to deal with that is move your fab shop from site to site, especially if you're doing like one or two operations. And a lot of people are doing just one or two operations. Um, so I, I think you'll see a growth in that too. Interesting. Uh, so obviously there's a big problem with the skilled labor shortage in the, the MEP industry. How is technology, how do you see that changing the, the culture to help kind of support the labor shortage? Um, well, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I saw with the labor shortage that, that really weighed in on me in terms of technology is, um, you know, the labor shortage is, is also tied to the booming construction, right? 
It's not sure. just that we're missing people. It's that we actually want to build more as we're missing people. Um, and, and that means that we are going to see more automation, more robotics. Um, but it also means that there's this super high value on um, the people who have been building for a long time and that knowledge base. I think what's really cool that I've seen in terms of the labor shortage is I'm seeing more and more of these older foremen, these experienced builders starting to download their knowledge to YouTube and to videos and to training seminars and things like this that honestly, Gen, you know, millennials and Gen Z are, are really love going to YouTube rather than asking somebody. That's oh, like yeah. their preferred source. Sure. So my thought is if, if that knowledge starts to become more and more um, available, we may see that, that that labor shortage starts to shrink up a bit, you know, because, you know, I mean, part of it is educating enough people to be ready to build. And we don't have a lot of places that sort of specialize in that education. You got the UA that's doing a bang up job. You got the different trades. You got tech schools that are that are doing some of that. But but if we can if we can expand the training opportunities, mm-hmm. I think that you'll see a lot of people come back to that type of work. And it certainly seems um, more palatable with the higher level of tech, the better level of safety on job sites, um, the more engagement that you get. I'm um, using the technology versus that, you know, the, the standard job site, which is um, paper and pencils. You know, if you talk to somebody who's younger about, you know, taking a job, they ask you where your technology's at because mm. they realize that if your tech's bad, you know, you're not going to have a long career. Job site's the same way. You know, we start showing them the job site has robotics. It has AR. It has VR. It has all of these technological tools. I think you'll start to see, more interest in being back out there. Yeah. So regular listeners of the, the podcast will know this is kind of a, a little hot button issue for me is I really feel like the, the labor shortage, one of the biggest problems is perception of the MEP and the, the trades in general of that they're they're viewed as not being technologically savvy or, or having those cool innovations where it's just not the case. And it's really sharing those stories out there of how we're using the technology and, and how it's really revolutionizing and changing. I think it's just being able to, to give voice more to the innovations and the stories that are happening because it's really cool stuff going on. Oh, absolutely. You know, I get to talk to high schools and colleges every once in a while and I pull out tech that we use every day. I pull out the Trimble and I pull out, you know, a, a full BIM. If you give, show somebody a full BIM that has laser scanning and adaptation, they're like, my God, this is like far beyond the tech that you're seeing in other industries, you yeah. know, and, and, but people don't know, you know, you sit, I was sitting on a plane with this lady from Amazon procurement, you know, huh. and, and, and I'm showing her a model on my iPad and she's blown away. She's like, it, it was one that em- employed scanning. So it was like a mixed reality one. She had oh, no nice. idea yeah. that this is sort of commonplace in construction to have all this tech. I mean, go tell a student that, you know, the tech investment for some of these companies is a million dollars. You know, it's like they're buying $120 laser scanners that scan 350 meters to bring reality into an AR headset. You know, I agree with you. We are bad at advertising what we do and and sort of messaging that out there. And if we were better at it, I think a lot more interest would come in. I've never had an intern come into my office, either at Spader Company or here, that didn't want to get involved. Like yeah. once you show an intern the, the range of tech, they want to be involved in that. And, you know, I mean, 
from my personal standpoint, I view BIM and a lot of this tech as like the best set of Legos you could ever have. I mean, if you, if you want a set of Legos, I got a set of radically dynamic Legos to play with that turn into full-size buildings. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So, no, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially as a, a Lego geek myself, I, I love that uh, analogy and resonate with it. <laughs> It's really part cool. of the reason I'm in this, man, is just for, I mean, it is for that, that building, you know, we, if you look at what a single person can build with tech versus what a single person can build without tech, it's startling, man. Like the yeah. people that want to build you, if, if you're in your heart, if what you really want to do is build, being involved in technology is just going to allow you to build bigger things. It's not going to get in the way. It's just going to be this tool that allows you to build really, really large projects Versus, you know, what we used to be able to do on a drafting board or, or with just CAD or with just, you know, with, with no field equipment that was automated. It's crazy. Yeah. The future is here for sure. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. yeah love it. So how can people reach out and get in contact with you? Well, definitely call, follow me at, on Twitter at Erie Forage. And um, I also put up um, MEP Lab. So MEP Innovation Lab is now on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. Look for those places. I'm going to start to trickle out information, but at some point I'm going to open the floodgates and just start throwing out different pieces and parts of this testing. Also, huh. if you have something you want tested, please tell me. Um, I, I have a, a set amount of time that I put off to the side that is testing stuff that I just think would be fun to test. So even yeah. if you think it's kooky and you'd like it tested, you know, shoot me a message on Twitter. Um, at MEP Lab, and and we'll we'll see if we can't get it tested for you. Awesome, very cool. Well, Jonathan, a pleasure as always. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Great to talk to you, man. Great to talk to you. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. And thank you to all those listening. If you are interested in learning any more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. And you can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and sharing with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcasts, the AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced by Alyssa Chartier and edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.